today, but I want you to, go to begin with 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, we just had a message last week, and this is kind of part two of that message, and it was on overcoming anxiety and depression. Uh, and last week we looked at how sometimes there's obvious reasons that we have anxiety or depression in our lives, and we looked at the fact that Cain uh, was in rebellion to God and his countenance was fallen. And God said to Cain, because he was contemplating murdering his brother Abel, why is your countenance fallen? And he was identifying or having Cain identify he had a problem. And the reason he had a problem was because he had a heart problem. The depression or his countenance being down was a consequence of his rebellion against God. That was a real issue. Amen? And oftentimes in the world, people have all kinds of anxiety all kinds of depression, because ultimately they're in rebellion to God. They're breaking God's moral law. God's giving people a conscience, and even people that don't know God have a conscience, and they can sear that conscience with a hot iron, the Bible says. They can, they can ignore the voice of their conscience. Their conscience tells them, conscience is with knowledge, is literally what that means, conscience with knowledge. And we have a knowledge of morality. We have an age of accountability. We hit a certain age, we know, certain, we know it's wrong to beat up an old lady. We know it's wrong to stab someone in the back and take their wallet. We know it's wrong to bear witness against somebody, false witness against somebody. We know it's wrong to lie and cheat and steal at a certain age. We feel bad. That's the conscience. But millions of people do it anyway because they override their conscience with their rebellion, with philosophies and Darwinism and all the isms I talked about in another message last week. They, uh, isms, people use isms to lie to themselves against the knowledge of God, which is in our hearts and God has made it known to us uh, to a degree in Romans 1, not only that he's a creator, but that he's to be thanked and, and, and served, worshipped. So we see that going on throughout the world, and there's a lot of depression out there because there's a lot of people living lives full of guilt. Amen? Uh, there was, I haven't seen the bumper sticker in years, but there used to be a uh, bumper sticker when people used to wear them more often on their cars that said, screw guilt. It was just, it was, you'd see it when I was younger. That was like in the 1750s or so, a long time ago. But uh, it was a pretty, you know, you'd see that bumper sticker, sticker around. And right away, that was people that, hey, they just wanted to just sin like crazy and not feel any of the, the, the smallest twinge of guilt. Well, that's not good. I say that's like breaking out your idiot light on your our car dashboard when it tells you that your engine is getting hot because you, don't, you have too little oil. And you ignore those warnings and you just destroy your vehicle, you destroy your life and the lives of others. Uh, so we saw that dealing with depression oftentimes has to do with simply uh, asking for forgiveness from the Lord, repenting of a certain area in your life, wherever you're in sin, getting right. And uh, the Bible talks about receiving forgiveness and the joy of the Lord coming with that forgiveness. And, and happy is the one whose sins aren't credited to them. Let the redeemer of the Lord say so and that we can have actually a very, very joyful life. Uh, when we're obedient to the Lord. Of course, you need to know his forgiveness. You need to know the gospel to really arrive at true maximum joy and to experience the life and the joy of the Holy Spirit in your life. So uh, oftentimes depression has roots that we can identify. Uh, not always though. Sometimes in biblical counseling, uh, I've counseled people uh, that I've dealt with through counseling where they can't identify any specific thing that's going on and I'm very, very, I try to be very, very wise to not assume there's something that they know is going on 
and that they're in rebellion to God just because somebody is either physically sick or because they're spiritually uh, feel oppressed or what have you because a lot of times there's mysteries around that. So you got to be very, very careful when you're trying to help people that you don't jump to conclusions. There was a guy who suffered a whole lot whose friends jumped to a lot of conclusions. Anybody remember who that was? Job, that's right. He went through that. We're going to talk about Job. There's what I call mysterious trials. Trials that you go through that you really don't understand the reason why, okay? You can look at some of the trials you've been through. Everyone here can look at certain trials you've been through and certain times you've maybe faced potential anxiety or actual anxiety or potential depression or actual depression because of something you went through and that was a mistake that you made, something that had horrific effects or bad effects and you realize, wow, I'm feeling bad because of this and I need to get right with God. Uh, that's, you see that throughout the scripture and there's many people that, in the, there's millions of professing Christians in churches that are not living for God who are depressed and they could simply get right with God. However, there's others that go through trials and many of us will to one degree or another where you don't know why exactly you're going through it. Like maybe the same thing you were doing, you're walking with God, you're going forward in the Lord and all of a sudden you go into a spiritual funk. Sometimes you don't know, then you figure it out. Sometimes you could just, all of a sudden the weather can change and it's fall and it's cold and you're far away from home and you're driving down the road and you're like an hour and a half out of home and it's, and it's black outside and, and all, you know, dark and, and gloomy and all of a sudden you kind of feel gloomy yourself and you're like, what's going on? And you realize, oh wow, you know, the environment's different and I'm, I need to just praise God, you know, not let the environment affect me and just rejoice the Lord because guess what? The sun is beyond those clouds and the son of God is on the throne and everything will be good in the end and, and maybe just start worshiping God. You might be able to identify something you're going through that's not super acute. Sometimes people change with the weather. It's true. But I'm talking about a trial where it just like comes out of left field. It's like, what in the world is, what happened here? You know, why am I going through, why, why do I feel like this? And, or you might just cry over nothing and you don't realize what's going on. Sometimes it's, you may not know what it is, but it could be uh, hormonal for a lot of people, right? You're going through something hormonal. And there's sometimes you can put your finger on it, okay? But there's other times where it's like, it's not the weather, it's not hormones, it's not something I've, I've, I've sinned, I, haven't, I can't identify anything, I'm not in rebellion to God. And you can go through 20 things and look at them, and still it's a mystery why you have anxiety. Or, you know, and, and it may or may not be physiological, it may be spiritual. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I was going to have a two-part series, but I think I'm going to do one on uh, the spiritual aspects of a trial when it comes to spiritual warfare. We'll see about that, okay? But I want to talk right now about the, the you know, overcoming mysterious trials when you really can't figure out what's going on at all. And in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14, Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for the testing, for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. First of all, as Christians, we should not consider it strange that we go through trials. Now, those who are teaching the health and wealth gospel, prosperity, and God always wants you, God wants you rich and send me more money and everything, they'll make their followers think that they're not going to go through trials at all, that God wants them rich and, 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 and wealthy and healthy and everything else. And then when they go through trial, a lot of those folks freak out. 
I've counseled people that have come from those backgrounds that have freaked out when they also face a trial because they haven't been taught that Christians go through trials. And, and Peter says, don't think it's a strange thing. When you encounter various trials, they're there to test you. And I'm working on a little series on the, passing the test that God gives us. Uh, separate from this, of course, but verse 13, but to the degree, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of God, glory and of God rests on you. Now, P- Peter is identifying this trial. He's talking about trials, not specifically as far as what exactly each person is going through, but those who are suffering because of the name of Jesus in one way or another, that the Spirit of God will rest upon them, that they're to focus on Christ and rejoice in Christ and, and his revelation that everything's going to be good in the end, even though it's horrible right now. I'm being persecuted because of the name of Christ. That could happen in our lifetimes, okay? Guys, you get the right people in government and everything else can get ugly pretty fast. We're seeing how fast things can change, right? So it's important to us to all recognize that we could go through some very, very fiery trials And we need to recognize that that should not surprise us because we've read it in God's word. We've seen all the saints before us, right? What happened to the apostles, amen? Almost every one of them was killed, right? Look at the church fathers, you know, Justin Martyr. Martyr was not his last name, okay? Justin Martyr is what happened to him. He got martyred, you know? Not the only church father that was martyred either. And many Christians are being killed around the world. And may God spare you of that. If that's his will, but guess what? We can't freak out and say, "God, wait, wait a minute." God, God's let you know what happens. We're supposed to count the cost. We're going to follow Christ. Amen. That's part of the reality that we could face something horrible like that. But we have to keep our eyes on Jesus and look to the revelation of Christ and look to the end and recognize the Spirit of God will strengthen us. He'll rest upon us the Spirit of God's grace. Amen. However, Peter isn't talking about a mysterious trial here, but he is talking about fiery trials. There is a man who went through a fiery trial. Job, he compared it to fire. But for him, it was a mysterious trial. Go to the book of James. Back up a book. James chapter 5. James went through a very fiery trial. Our, Our James was going through trials too, but that's not who I'm talking about. Job went through them, but in James, we read in James chapter 5, Verse 9, do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, Job is an example, guys. Is he your example? Do you realize he's an example? Brethren, of sufferings and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Isaiah was a prophet that spoke in the name of the Lord. He was sawn in half. Jeremiah was a prophet who spoke in the name of the Lord. He was thrown in a pit. Amen? Well, Job was also a prophet of the Lord. In fact, we're going to see some of his prophecies today. We count those blessed who what? Verse 11. We count those blessed who what? Endured. Very, very important biblical concept that doesn't get preached much, but it should be preached all the time because it's everywhere throughout the scripture. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is what? Merciful. Notice the focus here, guys. We look at the prophets and what they've gone through. The, the, the men of God before us, amen? And we look at them 
And we say they endured, but they were blessed in the end. We look at Job and we look at, he went through a horrifying trial, but we see that he was blessed and we see the Lord's compassion on him and he was merciful, okay? And well, how was he compassionate and merciful to Job? Job didn't sin and, and that's not what led to his crisis. That's true, but you gotta understand, there were a number of players in that deal, okay? He had friends, okay? And they had become accusers of Job's, especially Eliphaz, and then also Bildad, you know? And his friends basically, for the most part, most of them were basically saying, Job, you must have done something really wrong to lose your children and for all of them to be killed. And to have sores from head to toe, you must have really sinned against God and you're just not fessing up to it, you know? And even Job's wife was saying, curse God and die. It's interesting because she felt, she knew her husband was a good guy. So she's like, why is this going on? But she's blowing it too. And Job literally had sores from head to toe. He literally lost all his wealth. He lost all of his family, even his wife, not her health, but her heart. You know, he lost his friends. He lost his reputation. He lost his spiritual sense of assurance that he was going to be with God forever. He thought he was doomed. He said in Job 7, why won't you forgive my sins? I prefer strangling to life. So that's the biggest thing he lost was his, what he thought, he thought he lost his relationship with God. Yet, Job was being falsely accused by his friends because they thought there's no way you can go through this and not have really blown it big time in your life. And yet, in the very beginning of the book of Job, we read that Job was what? What was he? He was blameless. He's the most blameless man on earth, it says. Wow. Not absolute perfection, but if you looked at his life, you wouldn't be able to say, hey, he's in rebellion to God in this area. He's walking with God. More than anybody, certainly more than his friends who are saying you must have really blown it. It wasn't that Job never did anything wrong. It's, it's, it's not what, his trial was not because of his sin though. It's really clear. Although his responses to God through his trial at times were less than perfect, right? And God was merciful to him and corrected him at the end and was compassionate on him. And then God blessed him with twice as much. So it wasn't sin that led to his trial, but in the midst of his trial, his responses to God at times were like, you're not treating me right kind of thing. So, and God had mercy on him and had compassion on him because Job never forsook the Lord ultimately. He didn't curse the Lord. He didn't curse God and commit suicide. He said, no, he hung in there in the faith. And he is our example that you can go through some really hard times and not have a full understanding of what's going on and even struggle at times like, God, what's going on? I don't understand, but be careful. You don't pass that threshold of all of a sudden you're right and God's wrong and then you try to uh, exonerate yourself by saying something's wrong with God. It's impossible for there to be anything wrong with God. Okay, he's perfect. He changes not. There's no shadow of turning in him. He can't sin or be tempted to sin. Amen? It's just that we don't always understand and we usually don't understand and we totally don't understand the full exact picture we see through a glass darkly. So it's very, very important to understand this and so I start with that because I want to focus on Job, but go to James chapter 1. That's near the end of uh, James, but go to the beginning of James. In chapter 1, verse 2, consider all what? All joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. 
Count it joy? Why? How can we count it joy? Very easily. At least on paper, it's easy. Not saying it's going to be easy in your life. But if you look to the Lord, you fear him, you love him, and you trust him, it'll make it a lot easier. Count it all joy. Why? Do the math. And I don't want to get into the whole term. I did a message on trials not too long ago. But when he talks about consider, it's a a Greek word count. It means to do the math, basically. Consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Verse 3, this is why. Knowing, you need to know something, that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. And let endurance have its perfect what? Perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God's perfecting you through the trials. And how many Christians forget that? Why am I going through this? Consider all joy, brother. God's at work. God's working. Trust him. Look to him. We don't always know the why, but we know the ultimate answer, right? And we know ultimately why God lets us go through trials. We don't know specifically the reason all the time, but we know the bigger reason God's perfecting us. Amen. All things to work together for the all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. He's making us like Christ. Christ is God in the flesh. Amen. And we'll never be God in the flesh. But guess what? You're becoming as much like Christ as you humanly can be, created in God's image. That's a blow mind, and that's what God's doing through our trials. So we know the end result. And remember, it says, consider the end of these prophets and Job, right? Look at Job as an example, right? And and these prophets, because at the end, the outcome was what? God was merciful and compassionate. There was an end result right here. He says, rejoice your trials because there's going to be good end result. Amen. You have to focus on the end. You can't just focus on the suffering. Otherwise, you will lose heart. Amen. So you go through a trial. Don't look at just what you're going through. Say, you know what? I know the Lord's going to deliver me at the end of this, and I'm going to be better for it if I trust him because he promised to work all things together for the good for those who love and are called according to his purpose. That's Romans 8.28. And everybody quotes Romans 8.28. It's a great verse to quote, and I've quoted it twice now, but I love Romans 8.18, that the present sufferings that we're currently going through cannot be compared to the glory that we reveal in us. Amen? That's an awesome, awesome passage as well. Look at James 1.12. Blessed is the man who what? Perseveres or endures under trial. For once he has been approved or passed the test, that's the word dokamos in the Greek, he will receive the crown of life. In the Greek, it's victor's crown. Because there's a couple different words for crown. There's diadema, which is a royal crown. Then there's stephanos. And the crown right here is stephanos. And that is the soldier's crown for victory or the athlete's crown for a victory in the Olympic Games. You'll receive a victor's crown of life. In the Greek, it's the crown which is life. So if you endure temptation, you can, doesn't mean you're absolutely perfect, but it means you go through your life and you continue to pursue Jesus. And you, and you continue to get up and go forward in Jesus. And at the end, you're word, well done, good and faithful servant, amen. You have persevered in your faith to the end. Because look at the context here. Verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who what? Love him. Catch that? For God works all things together for the good for those who what? Love him. Ah, who's the one who gets the crown of life at the end? Those who love him. Persevere in loving him. That's the key. 
In the last days, the love of many will what? Grow cold. Do not let that happen to your heart no matter what you go through. You got to say, you know what? I'm going to keep a heart of love toward God. Continue to seek to love him with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen? And not allow my love to grow cold. Seek to love my neighbors, myself. Even though the world's going crazy and people are breaking everything and everything else, I'm not going to join the wave of hatred and anger. I'm going to continue to seek to walk in the love of Christ, no matter how ugly it gets. And you have, to, you have to right now in your life determine or understand it could get a lot darker for you personally than it is. Everyone could die around you. And your closest friends like Job's can turn on you. And your wife can tell you to curse God and die if you're married. And you can lose your kids. All kinds of crazy things could happen. Are you at the point where you can say, hey, ultimately it all belongs to God. And I'm going to praise him no matter what happens. Though he slays me, Job says, Yet will I praise him. And that's why Job could get through what no man had ever gone through before that. And only Jesus went through more that I know of than perhaps Job. Now, it's interesting because James 1.12 right there. Listen to this translation of James 1.12. I think there's a Holman's. I didn't write down the reference, but uh, Bible translation. But listen to this. And I love this. James chapter 112, I have this memorized in this translation actually. How blessed is a man who endures temptation when he has passed the test. I like that better than approved. It means the same thing basically. When he has passed the test, he will receive the victor's crown of life. They actually bring out the word Stephanos. That's why I like this. That God has promised to those who keep on loving him. Because in the Greek, it's a present tense participle. It's not just those who have loved him. It's, it's speaking of those who keep on loving him in the Greek. So listen to it again now. How blessed is the man who endures temptation when he has passed the test. He will receive the victor's crown of life that God has promised to those who keep on loving him. Isn't that interesting? I love that. So one of my rides or walks or hikes or whatever, runs or whatever I was doing that day or a couple days, I committed that translation to memory. Okay? How blessed is the man who endures temptation when he has passed the test and so forth. Oh, I guess I forgot it now. He has... Uh, When he has passed the test, who received the victor's crown of life, which God has promised to those who keep on loving him. Amen? So, and that's because I want to encourage you, one way you can pass the test, guess what? Memorize the answers. That's one of the answers right there. Right? When you get ready for a test at school, hopefully you, you, you got the ammo. Hopefully you're ready to go. How much more? When you're tested in the theater of life and you're going to stand before God, should you commit the answers to memory. Amen? Okay, and I love this translation. Those who keep on loving him are the ones that are going to be victorious to the end. Not those who turn their backs on him and are disloyal, who curse God and die. You know, your life is a short vapor, man. It goes quick. Make sure you're right with God and that you're earnest about it. Amen. Are you with me so far? Now, when Job went through his deal, Job, I, I'm blown away by Job. I mean, you can look at times, and there's times where Job complains, you know. And he even says at times where he, he, he thinks that, you know, maybe God's done him wrong in some way. But then he catches himself, okay? And in the end, he repents, you know, in dust and ashes. So it's interesting, but Job has many times in the midst of going through one of the ugliest, some of the ugliest events anybody could ever go through, he has times where he has just these great flashes of faith. Bam! It's like, whoa! And great revelations from God. And this is a neat thing, dare I say, about mysterious trials. 
When you're in a mysterious trial, you just hold on to Jesus, okay? The answers will come in time, and they may not come in your time. Job never got the reason why during, his, during at least what we read about his lifetime. We can't say he never got in his lifetime because we don't know what happened later. But he never got the reason why, why during his trial as to what he was going through. There are certain things he said that made him un, us understand, give us understanding that, yeah, he knew what God was doing, but he wasn't sure what the root of his trial was, why God would allow him to go through something so horrific. And what's so powerful about Job to me is if Job's the most righteous man, the most blameless man on the planet, he's going through the most horrific things, right? But God had a plan in the end. That means any of us who, because none of us are as righteous as Job was, guess what? When we're probably not going to go through the same horrific things that Job did, that means each and every one of us can say, you know what? I know God's got a plan. Amen. I know, I, I know that God's good through this whole thing. And that's what Job should have been doing as, in far, as far as his responses go. Job should have, and I'm not saying he should have, meaning I would have, because I'm sure I would have not done nearly as well as Job because I can't stand in Job's shadow. I trip out on Job. I'm like, whoa, look what he went through. But my point is, Job was talking today. He would say, you know what? I wish I would have responded better at certain times in my trial when he questioned God, okay? However, having said that, he did pass with flying colors because he never cursed God and committed suicide. Amen? Are you with me? So we have to watch. We have to learn how to respond to God. So what I do, instead of taking the lowlights of Job and his negative responses, and one day if we go through the book of Job, I'll go through some of those negative responses. I want to look at some of the highlights of how he responded when his eyes of faith were open, when he flashed the faith, because it's when you get these flashes of faith in revelation from God in his mysterious trial that we get some of our own answers. Amen. And the first thing I want to draw to your attention is Job had great faith. No matter what he went through, he was saying he was going to de be determined to still bless the name of the Lord. In Job 1.21, the famous verse, naked I came into, the, and this was after the first wave of destruction came through, right? His, his kids were all killed. This would be a horrific trial. Things blown down, you know, Satan was at work. And he didn't know what Satan was doing. He didn't understand what was going on. I thought God was doing all this, but God allowed it to happen. And it was a test. Job 121, naked I came from my mother's womb. He recognized, hey, I wasn't entitled to everything I got. Everything I got was a gift. And guess what? How many of us go through something if there's, uh, you know, our house gets burned down or there's an earthquake that destroys property or something like that, or even if we lose a child, God forbid. But how many of us would say, God, how dare you? As though these things belong to us by our own hand. They don't. Everything we have is a gift from God, Amen. And Job recognized that that's very, very important that you don't think of yourself as God, that you don't think what you have is because of you. Every breath you have is because of God's grace, amen? Anything that you have in your life is because of God's grace, amen? He's allowed you the ability to acquire what he's given you. Every perfect gift comes down from the Father above, the scriptures say, with whom there is no shadow of turning. And so right away, we need to be at the mindset, no matter what happens around me, as painful as it will be, and it was painful for Job, I'm going to fall on my face and say, God, you're ultimately in control. I love you. Naked I came into the world from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. I mean, I'm not bringing any of this with me. Amen? But sometimes we think we're bringing it all with us. And then he says, the Lord gives, and the Lord what? The Lord takes away. Amen? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. It all belongs to the Lord, in other words. You have to recognize that everything, every blessing you have belongs to the Lord, not to you, not to me. And that will help you get through trials. 
That way you can lose everything. And Job would later, right after this, lose his very skin, man. I mean, he'd just get sores everywhere. Scraping these huge, you know, sores, blisters that were oozing with, with pottery. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Then look what it says at the end of verse 21. Blessed be what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Learn to bless the Lord in your trials, guys. Learn to say, I'm going to bless the Lord. I'm not going to. So what's ironic here is Satan said he was going to get Job to what? Curse God and die. It's like a wager Satan was trying to make. I'll make him curse you to your face and die. And what does Job do? Does he curse God? No, he what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Learn to bless the Lord during hard times. Amen? Amen. Amen. Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. And I've looked at a lot of translations of that verse, and they basically all say pretty much the same thing. Though he slay me, I will trust or I will hope in him. In other words, he's saying, you know what? I don't understand what's going on here, but I'm still going to praise God anyway because I know he's good. And these are great responses because when you're going through a trial, you want to make sure you never speak against the Lord. The Bible warns, it says, woe means judgment to those who quarrel with their maker. Yet Satan wants to tempt us to somehow think there's something wrong with the creator of the universe. It's impossible. Because we're measured by him. He's the standard of perfect righteousness. He can't do any wrong. And as I said, he's perfect. The Bible says God does not change. Job 16, 19. Even now my witness is in heaven and my advocate is on high. Now, I want you to check this out. Think about this. What is Job saying here? Even now, my witness is in heaven, and my advocate is on high. He has a witness in heaven? Jesus, amen. He has an advocate on high? 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, John says, I write these things that you sin not. Don't sin. But if any of you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, a defense attorney. Amen? So, he knows he has a witness in heaven, an advocate. Now, this comes in chapter 16. And when you get to chapter 16 and you start moving from there, Job starts to get some kind of radical revelation of Jesus. And by the way, most scholars believe that Job was written before the book of Genesis, the oldest book that we have in the Bible. It didn't predate the events in Genesis, because, but Moses is writing what God revealed to him in his creation, the creation account, but Job was actually written, many believe, before Genesis. It's not dealing with a Hebrew. It's not dealing with a Jewish guy in Israel in the temple and so forth. Job himself is bringing out the bullocks to sacrifice him, not the temple. There's no temple standing yet. It's kind of interesting. And Job has a witness in heaven, an advocate on high. And Job has a really hard time in the first chapters, the first several chapters of the, of the book of Job. But when you start to get to, like, for instance, chapter 19 even, He's still struggling, and he's generally struggling through a lot of the book. But from after chapter 19 or so, especially, you start to see a change in Job to where he is more quiet, has a quiet confidence that God's going to get him through it. But he still goes through the trial. Now, it's interesting. Job 23.10 says, but he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Remember that one? When God's done testing him, he's going to come forth as gold. And we've talked about times in the past how gold was used to, or fire was used to purify gold. Amen? Job's in a fiery trial, but his is a mysterious trial. 
But here, there's some faith here because he says, he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. He has confidence. Now, I can show you a lot of places where he doesn't have confidence because like we've all been through trials where you're like, praise the Lord, I know God's gonna, and then uh, like, where are you, Lord? Where are you? You know, we've all been through that, right? Well, you need to hang on and continue to trust in the Lord. There's a lot of these type statements I'm giving to you, but I want to focus on one specifically for the sake of how to overcome a mysterious trial. When you're like, man, I've done this, that, the other. I've checked my heart. I'm right with God. I, you know, uh, and you know, sometimes, and this is what you got to be careful of guys. You know, there's millions of people, probably millions who are taking medications when they're in the midst of a trial, because they, that's the first thing they go to. I need to go to a doctor. I'm depressed. Or I have anxiety. Is that always the answer, yes or no? No. Biblically, we see oftentimes the answer is just getting right with God. Did I say that's always the answer for anxiety and depression? No, I don't say that either. Nobody should do the either or game because trials, there's various trials, as James said, amen? And we're supposed to rejoice in various trials, in other words, no matter what kind of trial you're going through, rejoice that you can know and trust that God will get you through it and there'll be a good outcome if you continue to trust him, amen? Now, a lot of people get on medicine and they take these things because they are told that they have a chemical imbalance. You know, a lot of times there's no definable chemical imbalance. It's just stated and they're given drugs because doctors make money off of drugs. And you know, a lot of times, you ever watch, hear these commercials on television? And they'll be talking about, there'll be this beautiful music in the background and, and there'll be people struggling with some kind of trial or depression or anxiety and, and, and you'll get over it and it'll be there. Da, da. And then they'll start talking really fast. But just, I don't know, he'll probably die. He might die through this. He'll be killed. he commit suicide. You ever hear that? That part? I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Slow down there. That's an important part. That's it. That I, I might what, hear voices and commit suicide. You know? And what I'm saying, guys, is don't think that there's, the doctors are going to give you the answer to all your trials. Oftentimes, our countenances have fallen and can be dealt with by having a good conscience, some encouragement from friends and brothers and sisters, some good biblical counseling, you know? Uh, I'm not saying, I'm, we're not one of those churches that say you could never, ever, and there's never going to be a chemical imbalance. Who knows? You, somebody could have got hit in the head with a bat when they were young. I don't know. And sometimes the drugs, in certain cases, can help. I'm not saying they, they can't. Maybe they can stave off something very acute to the person gets in a better place. But I don't believe they are the first always panacea. Are you with me? Because sometimes they can really compound a problem. There's a lot of people that have died and committed suicide after thinking they're... And, and, they've, and the medicine became far worse than the sickness, the supposed cure became worse than the sickness. So we got to be really careful with this stuff. And I know a number of people, even in this fellowship, who were taking something because they felt they needed some kind of medication because they had this or that problem, and they got off it, and then they grew spiritually, and they just addressed whatever was going on in their lives. Other times, there is a mysterious thing going on. And when Job was in this mysterious trial, do you think the answer for Job would have been being medicated? Yes or no? No. What's my point? Is that usually people relied on the Lord and he'd get them through things. Again, I'm not, I say usually because I'm not saying there's not times where something can be identifiable, physiologically identifiable, and then helped in certain cases. What I'm saying is don't always run to drugs as the answer. 
because drugs has, have become a very, very destructive thing in many, many cases, but not in all cases. There are some people that are helped, but we have to be very, very careful what we choose to take and that we're actually looking at an issue very sincerely and being prayerful about it, amen, and using wisdom. And there's wisdom multitude of counselors as well. Now, having said this, is Job is going through a mysterious trial. Now, he could have went to a doctor in, the, in a village and said, hey, give me this medicine that you're giving everybody else. And he could have done that for 18 years, but it went to solve this problem. Remember the woman who had the issue of blood and she went to doctors for 18 years and still wasn't healed until Jesus healed her, amen? I'm gonna let you know the ultimate, the, the great physician, his name is Jesus, amen? That's who ultimately we need to go to for our spiritual needs, amen? Now, if something is physiological, I'm not talking about that. Something you could prove is physiological, that's something else. But when it comes to, what I'm saying is, a lot of times people seek medication over spiritual issues. And physical medications to do with physical things in the brain will, are not designed to help you. And they don't even know about the spiritual issues. These people that make these things, they're not dealing with the spiritual issues. And oftentimes the physiological thing we go through, not always, that's why you don't want to misquote me, but oftentimes the physiological things we go through oftentimes are a result of spiritual problems that we have. So we have to be very, very careful. But you also have to be very careful not to say you put the finger exactly on what someone's going through. Because that's what Job's friends did. Eliphaz and Bildad and so forth. You must have sinned. So we've got to be very, very careful. And you want to be, you're going to be, hey, the Bible says in Rome, the end, near the end of Romans, as Christians who are mature, growing in Christ, all of you that are growing in Christ and seeking the Lord and growing in his wisdom, that you are competent to counsel. It's not just talking about the pastor and the elders. It talks about Christians, that you're competent to counsel. The Bible says that there is wisdom in a multitude of counselors. We should all be encouraging each other biblically, amen, how to walk spiritually. How, if, if someone gets off spiritually, you should know enough of the word to where you're able to say, hey, bro, you know, don't, you know, you know I know you're married, man, but I saw you were at this bar where they have these new dancers, you know. That's, that's not right, man. You need, unless you were there witnessing, but let, what was going on there, you know? And, and when you're witnessing, were you making sure you weren't checking out the girls or whatever? I don't know. I'm just saying there's some kind of things where, because I'm trying not to jump to a conclusion. It's like, well, what if you got a new job there? You didn't know the new dancers there. I'm like, I hear it coming already, right? But what I'm saying is you have to be really wise when you go into these things and recognize that we all can encourage each other over spiritual issues because most of the problems in the world have spiritual roots. Now, uh, Job's mysterious trial gives us a great lesson to understand that God was at work, the enemy was at work, and God was doing something, and nobody could have put their finger on it, really, but we all could have given the right answer. Maybe not, the, maybe not a super specific answer as far as all the details of what Job needed to do, but we all could have lovingly, and what his friends need to do, they need to be sympathetic. They need to be kind-hearted. They needed to be uh, consoling him. They needed to, the Bible says, to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. They needed to weep with Job while he was weeping instead of jumping to conclusions. So we got to be really, really careful. And sometimes we become like Job's friends when we try to help other people. Go to Job chapter 16. Job chapter 16. And when you get there, go ahead and go to verse 1. Job chapter 16, verse 1. Then Job answered, I have heard many such things. 
Then he's, he's talking to his counselors, his friends. He says, sorry what? Sorry comforters are you all. Who has a different translation? Instead of sorry comforters, what does it have? Miserable, miserable comforters. Amen? Most translations have miserable comforters. So these guys, Job's friends are saying, hey, Job, we're here to help you. Man, you're, man you lost your kids. You're sick from head to toe. You lost all your wealth. Hmm, that doesn't make sense unless you really offended God and he's judging you right now. It's basically what Eliphaz was saying. You're not obeying God's rules. We know the story. And Job's like, I have heard many such things. Sorry, comforters are you all. Is there no limit to windy words? Or what plagues you in you answer? I too could speak like you. If I were in your place, I could compose words against you and shake my head at you. I could strengthen you with my mouth. And the solace of my lips could lessen your pain. I mean, I could also comfort you. But you're miserable comforters. I was looking at different translations of miserable comforters. And one translation says, you are all pathetic at comforting. <laughs> I like that. You're all pathetic at comforting, you know. And they were just pathetic at it. And I want to encourage you right now. Brothers and sisters need comforting at times. And you want to make sure that you are very gentle with how you treat a brother or a sister. Amen? Amen. You want to make sure you're encouraging. You want to make sure that you're discreet. If you're an older brother in the Lord, you younger brothers that are older than, or you just have a sister in the Lord, it says, treat your sisters like your own sister. Amen? So you treat your sister like your own sister, okay? You don't play with gals' hearts, amen? You don't lead them on in any way. You're discreet and loving and principled and just a man of dignity. If you're a young lady, you need to make sure how you are toward young guys, that you're not flirtatious and you don't lead them on. And, and because God's really concerned about our hearts, amen? And that we're all real with each other and just speak the truth in kind, loving ways with one another. Now, we have to be careful when you're counseling someone because when you're counseling someone, they can be really, really fragile. Isn't that true? People are, can be, especially when you're hurting. Can you imagine losing? Your wife's angry. She's telling you to curse God and kill yourself. And your kids are all dead. And you got sores from head to toe that itch and hurt. And it's painful. And your friends are saying you're such a wicked sinner. And you were the most blameless guy on earth just a day before that. Or just a little bit before that. Now you're fragile. And the enemy's got you in his crosshairs. And Job, on top of that, a lot of people don't focus on it. But he was going through spiritual, spiritual trials as well being hammered by satan a spirit would see go above his bed and he'd, he'd his hair would stand up on his on his on his back you know it's like just what in the world and it was really crazy stuff so brothers and sisters you're going to be encouraging people make sure you pray lord help me be an encouragement to this person or an encouragement to that person amen help me to treat them as a child of god and speak in their lives words of encouragement. Amen? Don't be miserable comforters. Because we're, we're called, we're going to see, we're really called to encourage one another. Of them, Job concludes in Job 17, 12, these men turn night into day. In the face of darkness, they say light is near. So in other words, they were like, almost like false prophets, his, his friends. And he was going through really, really hard times. But you know, 
The best thing to do, and I want to encourage you guys, when you go through a trial, whether it's a, you know what's going on, if you know what's going on, you know why you're going through a trial, deal with it if you can. But sometimes it's not in your power to deal with the trial. How do I mean? It's not in your power to know exactly why you're feeling a certain way. Like I said, you can't always put your finger as to the specific reason you're going through a trial, but you can always put your finger on the answer, and his name is Jesus. Think of what Job's going through. He's been rejected by all his friends. He's blameless, but he's going through so much pain. Who does that sound like? Jesus. Jesus came to his own. It says he went to his own, but his own received him not. Amen. His own, the, the religious leaders who should have just accepted the Messiah, they rejected him. His own town rejected him. His own family rejected him. His brothers rejected him. They didn't believe until after the resurrection. They even mocked him at first. His own disciples all denied him. And on the cross, what did he say? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Amen. Well, guess what? Guess who goes through some stuff that looks a lot like that? Guess who goes through some really, really heavy things? Very similar to that was the apostle, or I'm sorry, was Job himself. Look at Job chapter 19. Look at verse 18. Job 19, verse 18. Even young children despise me. I rise up and they speak against me. All my associates abhor me or they hate me. And those I love have turned against me. It's happened to Jesus. My bones cling to my skin and my flesh. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like Psalm 22 almost. And I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Back up to verse 8. Verse 8. He has walled my way so that I cannot pass. And he has put darkness in my paths. Jesus saw just, I mean, it turned dark, right? He has stripped my honor from me and removed my, the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. He has uprooted my hope like a tree. He has also kindled his anger against me and considered me as his enemy. Now, that's not what God's doing, but that's what he thinks is going on. His troops come together and build, uh, and build up their way against me and camp around my tent. It's just amazing what he what he went through, verse 13, he has removed my brothers far from me and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have failed and my intimate friends have forgotten me. Sound familiar? It's a lot like what Jesus went through on the cross, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like the crucifixion. And what really blows me away about this whole thing here, guys, is it was at this point that, that Job gets this radical revelation of Jesus. He sees what he's going through he sees all the pain he's going through, all the anguish he's going through. His bones are sticking to his clothes. Sounds familiar? Everybody's forsaken him, yet he's blameless and he knows he's being falsely accused. Jesus goes through that. While he's going through this, at some point, somehow, God reveals to him what the Messiah is going to go through. That he has a redeemer. And that he's going to have hope in the end. No kidding. In fact, uh, it's interesting. Look at verse 23 and 24, just a few verses later. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. Meaning, oh, if people could see what I'm going through if it was written down. Job had no idea it was written down. And millions of people would read it, trip out. As for me... I know, not I think, not I hope. I know it's a revelation from God. 
I know that my Redeemer lives. Amen? And at the last, at the end, at the last, he will take his stand on earth and, and Jesus is coming to the earth. Amen? Even after my skin is destroyed, and it was kind of messed up already, wasn't it? After my sin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God. Meaning after I die and after my skin is destroyed, I'm no more, boom, I'm going to be resurrected. And in my flesh, I'm going to see God. Wait, he's going to see his Redeemer on the earth, and his Redeemer he calls who? God. Amen. That's a great one for a Jehovah's Witness. He's going to see God with his own eyes. Wow. Verse 27. Whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another. My heart faints within me. Or that can be translated yearns within me. Heavy things going on there, guys. You know what the word redeemer is in Hebrew? It's goel. Do you remember the kinsman redeemer we've talked about? How Ruth was desolate. Her husband had died, but her near relative was Boaz, a really radical man of God. And he was a relative to the man she was married to, but she was a Midianite and she had no rights in Israel. Yet guess what? He went and purchased the land because you could buy back the land of the deceased and what he had lost. And you were to take up the wife who'd become a widow so she'd have a future. And Boaz became the kinsman redeemer. He bought the field so he could get the bride and he took care of as his new wife became Ruth, the whole book of Ruth's about that. Goel is that word for the kinsman redeemer, the redeemer. And there were two things you have to know about the redeemer, okay? The, the, the goel. The goel had a civil duty sometimes or he had a criminal duty. Civil or criminal or both. The civil duty was to buy back that which had been lost by the dead relative. And guess what? That's what Boaz did, amen? Guess what? That's what Jesus did for all of us. We lost our inheritance through Adam's sin and, and the human rebellion, amen? We're headed toward hell. God became a man, amen? Died on the cross, paid for our sins to buy back what was lost, amen? He became our kinsman redeemer. It says, even as the children partake of flesh and blood, so God, so Jesus took of the same, the Christ, the Messiah. He partook of flesh and blood, amen? That he might free us from the fear of death and the power of the devil, so we were in bondage, but guess what? Jesus became our Goel, and he fulfilled the civil duty of the Goel. He didn't have to. He didn't have to become flesh. He wasn't a human, but as God, he became a man so he could redeem us as our Goel. And guess what? Job, way back, even before Genesis is written, he goes, talks about all the suffering he's going through, and it looks like Jesus. He goes, I know my Redeemer lives. God said, guess what? You're a picture, you're a type. I don't know how, exactly how God laid it out to him, but it wasn't something he guessed about. He was hoping it's something he said he knew. His Redeemer lived. His Goel lives. And he was going to see him. Even after his flesh was destroyed, he would see him in his flesh because he'd be raised. And he'd see him on the earth. He'd see God as his Redeemer. Amen? And we read this. We read this in chapter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed... That's us, with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. But he saw that his Redeemer is God. He said he'll see his Redeemer, and he'll see God with his own eyes. Well, guess who purchased us with his blood? God. Listen to 
Rome or Acts chapter 20, verse 28. This is another great verse for a Jehovah's Witness who denies the deity of Christ. Be on your guard for yourselves and all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased, which, which the shepherd the what? The church of God which he, that is God, purchased with his own blood. That's our Redeemer, amen? <sighs> Ain't Nico, shake your head, amen? That's awesome. That's just too much, man. Praise God, we have an awesome God. And by the way, there was also the other duty of a goel at times, not just the civil duty, the what? The criminal duty. That means the goel would avenge you if you were mistreated wickedly. If somebody had killed someone's brother, the goel, it would be his duty to run that person down at a certain point and take that person's life as law enforcement, to justly take that person's life as a criminal duty. Well, guess what? He's being falsely accused by his friends. They're way out of line. They're bearing false witness against him, saying, you must have sinned really bad, Job. Guess what? He's not only the redeemer that comes to vindicate him or to save him, but also to vindicate him against his enemies. Because look at the last two verses I didn't read yet. Chapter 19, verse 28 and 29, the very next verses. The increase of his house, I'm sorry, sorry, verse 28, yeah. If you say, how shall we persecute him? I mean, his friends were persecuting him, right? And what pretext for a case against him can we find? Verse 20, then be afraid of the sword for yourselves. For wrath brings the punishment of the sword, so that you may know there is judgment. He's warning them, you guys better be careful. Because my Redeemer lives, and my Redeemer is a Goel who's going to come and save me, and I'll be redeemed from the grave, amen? But my Redeemer is also the, my vindicator, and I know I'm innocent in this, and you guys are falsely accusing me, and he's going to show up for me, so you guys better be careful, judgment's coming. Is that gnarly? That's gnarly. I've seen Goel applied to the first part that I read. I've never seen Goel applied to the criminal part with regard to the last two verses, but it's there too. I said, I said that's right there. There's a criminal part right there. Because he is our kinsman redeemer. He also avenged those who, miss, when the Antichrist and the false prophet and their armies come against and kill all the Christians and Babylon's the great, the mother hardest and the abomination of the earth and her hands are dripping blood red because of Killing the saints, guess what? God's bringing vengeance as our redeemer, amen? He's not only the one who is the lamb of God who gave himself for us to redeem us, but he's the lion of the tribe of Judah as well. He's gonna come with vengeance to vindicate the believers who put their trust in him and who are falsely accused. Are you with me? So Job is a radical, 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 radical picture of Jesus. He's a type of Jesus. And we need to recognize, and by the way, at the end of the book, guess what the Lord does? He vindicates Job. Remember that? He says, he corrects Job and says, hey, who are you to, you know, cast aspersion on me to, to vindicate yourself, Job? Job puts his hand over his mouth, repents in dust and ashes. But he says, but Job never didn't sin against me in this, what they were saying, right? But your friends did. And he rebukes his friends. And Job prays for his friends, right? And sacrifices some bullocks and stuff so they can be forgiven. So Job knows judgment's coming. They're in trouble. But guess what? Job acts Christ-like and offers up sacrifice for them, even as Jesus offered up a sacrifice for all of us. Getting too deep into the typology, one day we'll get into the typology of Job as a picture of Jesus that's far, far more to it than that. But the cool thing about this is Job lost all his friends. And when you're going through a mysterious trial, you don't know what you're going through. Nobody else understands it either. Seek Jesus and look to Jesus and look to the fact that you have a redeemer, amen? Even when the enemy tries to 
mess with you and say, no, nope, God doesn't love you anymore. Because Job got like that. Keep seeking him and he'll reveal himself to you eventually. And you'll realize God, the, out, the outcome of Job we read about, amen. Those who love God in the end, amen. Those who will be made perfect, amen, and lacking nothing. It's all the outcome. God showed that he was compassionate and merciful. Say, you know what? In the mystery of my trial, I know it will come to an end. There'll be light at the end of the tunnel. Even when I don't see any light, I'm gonna trust the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. I got 828 on like, this clock, 829 on this one. So hopefully we're good. Anyway, uh, so Proverbs 18.24, listen to this, guys. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Amen? You can have a whole bunch of friends, but ultimately you need to make sure you're trusting Jesus. Friends are born. Friends are born to be a blessing to you. And we want to be blessing to each other. And a brother is born for adversity. Amen? So we want to be good brothers and sisters to one another and be there for each other. Amen? We want to bear each other's burdens ultimately, amen? But not, you guys got to keep this in mind. The Bible says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Who is that friend? Jesus. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends, Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 15, amen? He's the best friend of all. So no matter what you go through, you need to look to Jesus as your best friend in the midst of any trial you go through. Amen. And in the midst of that, we need to bear each other's burdens, love one another, pray with one another, and care for each other. Amen. But I'm, the bottom line is no matter what you're going through, a trial that you know the reason, or a trial where you're not sure why you're going through it, the answer is always the same. His name is Jesus. Amen. And he is your redeemer. Your redeemer lives. And one day in the future, you will stand before him and you will praise him forevermore. Amen. Let's bow our hearts before God.